This is gonna be fucking fun. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're going to get into a little gigantism now here on Major League A-Holes in the Hole. But before, uh, those of you viewing at home, I, I, as promised, I got my fancy IPA glass out. This, <laughs> it's fancy. This, uh, this cylinder here, and that's supposed to release everything, the, g- give it the proper oxidation to, to bring I was thinking the full just flavors. brings the aromas to your nose, which is big, a big part of taste, actually, is your nose, so... Oh, it's a little bit of everything. Yes. Love it, it does everything. It's it's voodoo. I'm not All sure right. what this kind of glass is, but it works. You can drink from it, right? It gets the yes. beer to your mouth. Um, uh, first off, with gigantism this week. Next question. The next question, because it was stupid. He hits it high. He hits it deep. Papa's feeling pretty uh, delicious right now. Gonna step into the box, go three for four, eight RBIs, got him. Yeah, I just want to do, uh, I think, what is going to be a weekly second uh, segment, excuse me, the Carlos Rodon watch. And mm. uh, we've got uh, another solid outing by Rodon. How many pitches? Took How many pitches? 90, 95 pitches to get through five innings. So, so he's ramped he up. Is, he's at 89 and 90 and now 95 pitches. Yeah. And he is uh, averaging because of those three games. It's uh, He did have one game where he went seven innings, the second game of the season. So he was a little more resourceful then, uh, 90 pitches to get through seven. But he is throwing an average of 90 pitches in five and two thirds innings right now. So, um, one thing to note in the second, his second outing of the year with the White Sox, he had that no hitter where he threw like 114 oh, pitches in that game, um, for his second game of the season. So, um, he's actually trending less pitches than he did with the White Sox over the first three games. So, maybe. Maybe that they're just going to keep them around 90, 95 pitches. But I, I still think it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of work to be throwing 90, almost a hundred pitches only over five innings. So especially someone who has a lot of, you know, a lot of injury issues, but yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I guess 20, I guess five innings is worth $22 million a year. So, um, there you have it. Um, <laughs> In uh, more recent news, before we get into the San Diego saga, San Diego saga, um, the Mets just—it's been a tough week. It's been a tough week for me here. The Mets just took three out of four from the Giants. Uh, the Giants also lost a doubleheader, as the White Sox did, uh, in a uh, makeup game for a game that had been rained out uh, the night before. They won yesterday's game, um, uh, which Rodon pitched, and then. Uh, they lost today's game. Uh, the Mets have only lost three games all season. They Mets look good. Lost. We like to make yeah, fun of I mean, New York mess, but they are not a mess right now. Oh, you're making a mess. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. 
I'm Keith Hernandez. My God, would you look at that mess? New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Well, look at this fucking mess, man. We're on a city street in broad daylight here. Even we were going back and forth debating if it was a rat or a raccoon. <laughs> Crazy, man. Insane. Well, it's a mess, ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Well, we had said if if Lindor plays mm. up to Lindor, and there you go, he has been. Suddenly he's uh, Lindor other, again. Yeah, suddenly suddenly he's Lindor in, in season two. And then also you've got uh, someone I was hoping the White Sox could get from them, uh, McNeil. He's batting like 335. I mean, he's off to a, 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 a just a tremendous start. Um, he might so, be better than Laurie Garcia as your number three hitter right now. What do you mean? Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, the Mets are looking like the real deal thus far. And I believe they're the only team with a winning record in the NL East right now. Everyone else is a couple games under 500 in this uh, early season. Even Atlanta again off to their usual slow start like last year. Um, but Acuna Jr. Is, is looming. He has yes. played two AAA games and is on his way back. Uh, probably next week. So that your Giants is are that. leading. Your Giants are leading the a hole standings by, uh, I believe, a game at this point. So well, they are. Well, they're eight and five. Yeah, but that makes them the fourth best team fourth in the place. NL West right now because of the Colorado Rockies right now. And who? No one saw that. I guess Chris Bryant's getting yeah. the last laugh on you and I. We thought well, he Jesus took the money. Jesus sees everything. The Christ he knows, saw the talent. knows what's happening. He saw the talent. He saw the talent that no one in baseball could see. It is as I have foreseen it. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. But earlier, um, coming out of the weekend, the Giants had squared up against the San Diego Padres. And in a game where the Giants... Uh, were leading quite handedly. They decided, you know, not to risk it and and broke some unwritten rules uh, in the game of baseball. There are unwritten rules in baseball, and um, I find unwritten rules stupid. Um, I think the idea that you suddenly let up on a game because you're leading. Uh, by a certain amount of runs that you don't try to hit a home run off of a position player because they were brought into the ball game. You're supposed to, if you if you hit it on a three one count, it's fine. But if you swing at a three zero fatty, it's it's an unwritten rule. Um, also, That's your main Mercedes, how that works? Yeah, exactly. Um, you're not allowed to bunt or steal bases when you have like a, a four or five run lead. And that's what the giants did. The giants um, kept the pressure on San Diego has a lot of offense there. And again, I, I don't understand the unwritten rules of baseball. I never have. I've never. It's about uh, not my showing years, up the other team is what it comes down to. It's about fragile no, goes. Yeah. That's I mean, I, sad I think, about it. I think it's all bullshit. And yeah. I don't ever recall when I was playing, you know, in high school or, or little league ever when suddenly our coaches were like, uh, you know, we're up by eight runs, just, you know, just go up there and, 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 you know, 
I would actually understand that more on the amateur level where you're not trying to destroy the self-esteem of some kid that, you know, has no future in the game. These are professional athletes that are paid to win games, win and lose games. They're paid for their stats. They're paid to, they're paid to get hits. They're paid for their RBI. They're, they're paid for their war. You know, so if they have a chance to increase that or decrease the other guys, I I don't know how, I don't know how this ever became a tradition in, in, in baseball where you specifically can't, you can't, if you keep trying throughout the end of a game, even a blowout, you're a bad person. You're violating the unwritten rules. It's insane. Yeah. And it got so bad that the Giants' first base coach, Anton Richardson, got into it with the third base coach of San Diego, Mike Schilt, to the point of where Schilt yelled at Gabe Kapler, control that motherfucker. Mm. Now, um, Richardson, who I believe is, where is he from? He's not the Dominican Republic, but he identifies as, as black. He felt that comment had racial undertones to where um, after the game, uh, he, t- he, he said to reporters he felt it, was, it had racial undertones as if I, if I was to be controlled or a piece of property or enslaved. Ooh. And that's important that we understand when we do make yeah. comments and we do take action what that means for communities. Um. The, the crazier part of this is it's Schilt yelling at Richardson, but the ump ends up ejecting Richardson. <laughs> now, when Richardson gets ejected out of all this yeah. madness, a really cool moment happens in baseball yeah. because of it. Um, defensive instructor, uh, coach for the Giants, Alyssa Nakin, became the first ever female coach to actually coach on the field. There's never been a a female coach on the field in baseball. Eric Hosmer shook her hand in a very like touching moment Uh, at first base. And it was, it was really a cool moment for baseball. It's crazy. That's such a weird thing. Like led to, led to such a cool historic moment. Like that's how, I mean, I'm sure that's not how she planned it or hoped it would work out, but it happened. So there it is. Yeah. There it is. And, and the next day, the air was cleared. Both Schultz and Richardson held a press conference together because Richardson was so bothered by it that he scheduled a meeting with Schultz. He I, saw, I actually saw that. They met on the field. And you yeah. know, just an impromptu, just man-to-man, nothing with the press around, but it was caught on camera at least. And, th- and they shook hands. You could tell there was an understanding. There was no more animosity or whatever. That could have yeah, been and then, then they though. made then they did make statements to the camera. Okay. Like, and I think it was just covered locally. I was watching the, yeah. the, the giants game. No, so, that was a national story. Uh, that, that was a big deal. No, I, I know it was a national yeah. story, but it was, you know, I know the, the on the field interviews were shown uh, prior to the start yeah. of the, the game. Um, so, you know, that was, that was good to, good to see. Um, but it is like, you know, the whole the whole dynamic there, the fact that someone gets so upset at a team over calling for a bunt and telling someone to steal and, and, and all that. And to where they're yelling at the coaches from the dugout and um, who uh, Bob Melvin, I, you know, like put his hands up and looked at Gabe Kapler on the, I think it was after the bunt. 
like, what the hell are you doing? I think he Unfeed. said. And it's like, I don't know. We're just trying to make sure we win this ball game. I mean, well, why, why a 12 to five game seems like a team can't come back from it is, is beyond me. Gabe Kapler actually had made some really salient points. Uh, you know, that was the first game of a three game series. I think that yeah. is a point where you, if you get more pitches on their relief staff, you could affect games two and games three. You know, there's, there's some logic behind trying to, trying to wear out the opposition's bullpen as much as you can, uh, especially early in a series. So I, it was interesting because it was reported that it looked like he was kind of scolding. I forget who the guy that bunted was. I forget his last name, but, um, it looked like he was kind of scolding him on the bench at the time, you know, similar to, you know, Tony La Russa and your main Mercedes the, the last year in the famous broken unwritten rule where he hit a massive home run off of a position player. But the big difference is in the press conference, at least Gabe Kapler had his players back and was coming up with those reasons why, why it makes sense, at least logically, you know, to, to wear out the other team, you know, that, that could pay dev- dividends, not just in that game, but get games down the road where, you know, TLR had the complete opposite. He, he thought they should throw at his own player. He kind of condoned it, which was that you and I covered that extensively at the time and led to the eventual complete demise of your main Mercedes. So I think uh, maybe Gabe Kapler saw that situation and, saw the, the proper way to deal with it and had his players back at least publicly and diffused the whole thing. I don't think it's been an issue going forward. So no, I think that might be the difference in what? 50 years of age, 40 years of age. <laughs> well, I mean, anyone who's LaRusse's age is definitely going to be part of the unwritten rule. Any, any, any coach who's probably in their mid six, actually sixties or above is going to be. I th- Part I of think the you're right. rule club. I think it's mostly an age thing, but it 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 seems to persist in in baseball no matter what what age. And I, I just I'll never well, understand it. And I, hopefully, it goes away. I think I think when we get through the cycle where guys like Fernando Tatis and Tim Anderson and those guys are rolling off of playing baseball, and and then I don't know, maybe some of them will go into coaching or mm. they'll be up in the booth or whatever that's where you're going to start to see that change over where you're not going to hear about these unwritten rules and you know i think we're starting to see that and this is going to be the tumultuous time as we trans transition away from that there's going to be a part of the baseball the baseball culture that's going to bristle at it and there's going to be part of it that doesn't and it's just going to there's going to be more and more incidents like this until there are fewer and fewer as those old fuckers die off you know, and those those old attitudes go away. So it's going to be a while, but it might be might be changing. Well, but that's I'm, that's all I've got for the Giants. Well, I'm, I don't mean to jump past this weekend series or anything, but but well, you and I have have an interesting series coming up next Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe. The Battle of the Bay. I'm not even sure if that's is, the real. Is it really? Is it really a? It's going to be a battle. Is it going to be a battle? We'll see. The Oakland A's travel all the way across the Bay Bridge to San Francisco to face you. I mean, at least they'll be playing in front of fans. That'll be good. They'll have That'll fans be good. To play in front of. That'll be good. The A's are A's lost this afternoon, I believe, one to nothing to Baltimore, which is wonderful. But, uh, they're they're five hundred, which is kind of kind of amazing. I was not expecting my fucking A's to 
even be close to close to 500 at this point. I mean, he's the kind of guy who walks into a room, his dick has already been there for two minutes. Today, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. Holy Toledo! I'm just saying, girlfriend is a six at best. Fucking A. scratching out wins uh here and there playing the a's way quote unquote the a's way <laughs> as mark kotze call it which i've heard the cubs way i don't think i've ever heard the Sox way necessarily i've heard even this week i heard kurt kurt gibson call it the tigers way essentially anytime Ooh. you hear somebody talking about it, it's about grinding out wins it's just the cliche like who the fuck doesn't grind out wins like you have to go every strike every every pitch every at bat you, grind you hope win. so that's how baseball right? you hope you hope that's what people are doing but according to mark kotze the a's are playing the a's way now and, and winning well, some games I, here and there i do i do remember grady the uh, chief scout in in moneyball did mm. use the quote we're gonna get him in here and we're gonna teach him how to play a's baseball so you know maybe there is an a's way well apparently there is but the question remains, the existential question, the classic as existential question is, if, if a team is 500, but no one is there to see it, are they really 500? Uh, <laughs> literally well, last I mean, night. What's the television share on that? Maybe they got a good television share. Yeah. Well, <laughs> last night in Oakland, there were a total, an announced total of 2,703 fans. Uh- I have Oakland never heard Coliseum. that. That is, uh, that was, I, I, that hit my phone and I went, what? That, mind you, that's the announced attendance. And we know, we right. absolutely know those numbers are fudged. So I really am curious what that, what that actual total was. Because if you see the photos of O.co or the Coliseum or whatever the fuck it's called now, it was called McAfee at one point. I've had this whole debate. I have no idea what it's called anymore. But, uh, there are almost as many people in that stadium that are going to be listening to this podcast later, I think. So rivaling that, um, un, I, I mean, I feel bad. I've been to that stadium several times. It's not fun. It's, but there's baseball being played there, which is always fun. Um, it's a football stadium that happens to have a baseball team in it. It's ridiculous. Um, they have food, they have you know they have crazy. Usually the, the fans are out in the out in the center field bleachers, just drumming away. All sorts of crazy crazy shit happening. Vuvuzelas. I've been entertained there. Um, I think the fans have, and rightly so, they have turned their backs on what what the A's are doing right now. I've railed against this all off season. I'm selling off every asset they can in this perpetual cycle of building up a, a decent team with some young prospects and getting more out of them than you could ever imagine and turning them into fantastic major league players, but they never have enough to quite get them over the top. And before those players can reach arbitration sometimes, but certainly before they reach free agency, A's don't resign them. They, they trade them off and start the cycle all over again, loading up on young prospects and trying to, trying to get through it again. See, like I've railed against this all offseason. It's, 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 we're exactly in the same spot. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised that the A's are overachieving, even being at 500 as they are right now. 
I can see why the fans would revolt and not bother showing up. The sad thing that I pointed out on previous episodes is fans not showing up is going to have zero effect on A's ownership or their front office decision-making because they are not dependent on uh, in-stadium revenue. They're not dependent on ticket sales. They're not dependent on uh, concession sales. They're... Their TV revenue sharing money from the rest of rest of Major League Baseball more than covers their ridiculously small, uh, I believe it's $33 million uh, Major League payroll right now. They are taking in, before they sell one ticket this year, $100 million based on all that revenue sharing that they get from other teams. So they have no incentive to put anything good on the field this year. They, I don't think they're, I don't think they're trying to, necessarily put a terrible team out there they're 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 trying they made some good trades when they traded off the mats and everybody else john manaya uh that we talked about previously but they don't need to worry about that i don't think they i think they might be a little bit embarrassed that you know there's such a tiny amount of people actually showing up to games but i don't think it really matters to them because it certainly doesn't matter on the bottom line they're, they're, they'll be doing just fine financially I think it, it speaks more to it might even work in their favor if they really want to be getting out of Oakland, as we've chronicled over the last several months, uh, a reason to get them the fuck out of Oakland because they have zero fan support. So they might be self-sabotaging. They might be happy to see no one there because it builds the case to say we need to get out of Oakland and move to greener, greener pastures. The bad pun for the Oakland A's uh, out to Las Vegas. So just another sad, sad sign of how that could be a fantastic baseball town. Uh, it is a fantastic baseball town, but their their team has, has really turned their back on them. And finally, the fans are turning back their backs on the team. It's just it's just such an ugly, ugly situation. And I think we're going to see more terrible crowds like that or the lack thereof. So. Buckle up, I guess. Buckle up, cowboy. Well, that's all I've got maybe, for. You think What's maybe that? they're telling the fans not to show up so they can no, that's justify my conspiracy. the move to Oakland? That's my conspiracy theory. I mean, it, it would work in their favor if they're trying to make the argument that they need to get out of there and go to a place where they're wanted. That that's one way to do it. Make sure you put out such a such a product that people have no faith in that nobody shows up. So that's pretty cynical, but. I don't know. There yeah. seems to be some evidence. Right. Well, I think we should uh, transition over to uh, a segment that we made up last year after we were so graciously sponsored by your efforts. Uh, you're, you're, you're one hell of a talker. Somehow talked Revolution Brewing into sponsoring this podcast with free beer anytime we wanted it. So thank you very much, Revolution. Uh, my favorite and the beer that Pete is showcasing over there for all you watching on YouTube or Facebook, uh, the anti-hero, their flagship beer is both of our favorites of, of the revolution uh, catalog of beers. So we came up with the anti-hero of the week. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Say my name. And you will know my name is the Lord. In the cave, motherfucker. We walk the streets at night. 
had such such uh, honorees as the Kane guy from the White Sox playoff game. <laughs> That's right. Um, was he the original? Was he the first? I don't remember who was the first. We had Jack Peterson wearing the pearls, being just Ooh, a weirdo. That was that, that, that would have been that would have been first then. That would have been before yeah. before the Kane guy. There's a third one I'm forgetting. That may have been the first one. I'm not sure. But this time I'm I'm going outside of the box and nominating an inanimate object. It's not Wait. even a person. Our anti-hero. Well, I can't even I can't even conceptually take this right now. But go ahead. <laughs> well, our, our anti-heroes of the week are they're typically not the heroes we wanted, but they're the heroes we needed. That's that's the line from Batman of uh, Dark Knight, of course. Uh the hero we needed, not the one we necessarily wanted this week, is the pitch clock. Ah, yes. I am nominating the pitch clock as our anti-hero of the week uh, for many reasons. But number one, I, I love baseball, obviously. Uh, I think it's the best sport, but the most perfect sport ever created. It has many issues, but so do all sports. It leads... Uh, gives us reason to have a podcast there's there's things that are frustrating about it that we need to change so you and i started a blog and then a podcast so we can bitch about it it's a fucking blast uh but i think of all sports baseball comes the closest to perfection for many reasons it's the most compelling sport um but one of the things i've always appreciated about baseball is it's it works on its own time a baseball game takes as long as a baseball game needs to take uh both teams have the there's a there's a justice in that both teams have equal opportunity to score as many runs as possible and one comes comes out the winner at the end. There's no clock involved, an arbitrary measure of how much time you have to to accomplish these things. Baseball teams have have an equal opportunity and there's there is 100% justice at the the end of the game at least. There there might be some inter- things that happen during the game that might that might uh, be injustices but uh, you can't say a clock decided the game where every other sport is totally ruled by clocks, which is arbitrary and unfair in many, in many cases, but that's the beauty of baseball. They don't have to deal with that. But in this case, I'm actually happy that it looks like baseball will be getting a clock of some of sorts at least. And we've seen the experimentation in the minor leagues with a pitch clock uh, where the pitcher has 14 seconds when no runners are on base and either 18 or 19 seconds when runners are on base to throw a pitch. And if he fails to, there's a ball. If the batter is fucking around, I forget how much, if it's with nine seconds left on the clock or 11 seconds or whatever it is, if the batter's still fucking around, they're going to call a strike on him. Just in an effort to expedite the process. You know, we don't need, the idea is baseball is getting slower and slower as max effort pitchers have to take time to walk around the mound and gear up for their next 100-mile-an-hour pitch, uh, as we've seen uh, proliferate throughout the majors over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, that, that, that's the major change, I, I believe, is causing so much time between, between pitches, which is extending games to – you know, four plus hours sometimes. Tigers had a four hour, nine minute game this week against the Yankees. Well, that's that's a lot of that's on the Yankees, uh, too. Well, that is definitely their MO. But this is this is an attempt, this is an experiment, and at least in the minor leagues, uh, to see how how putting this pitch clock would would affect games and how players would deal with it, how it would affect 
affect games positively and negatively. That's why the, the beauty of this is you can experiment with this in the minors and really see what the potential un, unintended consequences might be with that. Well, the intended consequences seem to be coming to the fore immediately in this experiment as we started just over two weeks ago in the minors as average game times have dropped to two hours and 40 minutes about instead of averaging three hours last year, which is substantial uh, this, this, this quickly. Um, the, the, the issue with the way this is being reported is people that don't like the idea of pitch clocks, uh, which I can, I can relate to at least on the surface. They see, they say, I love baseball. I don't care how long it takes. Why, why would I want less baseball? You know, who, who cares? You know, I could watch it for football fans. They're just as happy with an overtime game that goes four hours or four and a half hours, whatever it happens to be. It's, it's great. That's where this argument, I, I get so sick of hearing people say time of game. We're trying to reduce the time of game. That is not the idea. We're trying to increase the pace of play and the amount of action that is happening within the game time. And that is the point that needs to be driven home, and that's why I have a podcast where I can just say this. It is not time of game. It is pace of play that is the issue. There is no reason we need to watch a pitcher throw a pitch, stomp around on the backside of the mound, adjust his balls, blow on his hands, everything else, wasting 30, 40, 50, even a minute at times between pitches. And this pitch clock would eliminate that. And we've seen what what that can do. It just leads to crisper play. You and I talked about earlier Mark Burley's games were classic, you know, typically under two-hour games. It was not not unheard of to have a, you know, even an hour and 50-minute game when Burley's pitching on the mound. That's just because he didn't fuck around. He never questioned his catcher, for one thing. He had a pretty good catcher with AJ Przinsky a lot of that time. Whatever the catcher threw down, he would just throw it. But he also just right. didn't waste his time stomping around the mound trying to gear up for his next pitch. Or I don't know, you know, whether it's trying to create a mental advantage with screwing up the timing of of the batter or whatever. We we don't need it. And we it's not that we want less baseball. It's we want more more action in the time we are watching baseball. I, I just mentioned the the four hour nine minute uh, Tigers game. I wasn't I wasn't bored at any point in that. It was just having to be a really fucking long game. But there are some games that do not need to be that long, and a pitch clock will will address that. And we're already seeing the evidence. You know, you always say small sample size. We, we're you know this is only two weeks into this experiment, but to see that dramatic that that you're already seeing twenty minutes shaved off. Well, that that's twenty minutes of guys that would be scratching their balls otherwise and are the minor need... leagues though an a full extra or week and a half ahead of not, they start not this they, year they did they typically didn't yes they but, started uh, before we started before they always do started. they always do but this year everything got pushed back a week with the majors because of the lockout so they both started on april 7th or 8th so it's, it's the exact same time ta- exact same timeline so this year it happens to be the same typically you're right it the Mariners start a week later, but trust me, I made the schedule. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what I was saying. Okay. They start at the same time. I they did this the year. Miners, I thought the miners had actually started because of the lockout or because no. of the like strike had started earlier than MLB this year. 
No, they've always been scheduled for April 8th. That was, that was, that was our opening day. And it just happened to coincide this year with the, the majors just because of the lockout. So, okay. Yeah. So it's been whatever, two weeks, what's today, the 21st. So just about two weeks. So you could say small sample size. We'll see how this plays out over time, but it, it's interesting that we're seeing that dramatic thing. So I guess I wanted to get out in front of this as it's been a story this week, those dramatic returns. Uh, number one to say I'm a, I'm a proponent number two, anytime you hear someone complain about length of game or talk about length of game, that is not the issue. The issue is pace of play. So you kids out there, anytime you hear someone say that, just repeat. They say length of game. We're not complaining about that. We're complaining about pace of play. So I think I think it's a positive thing. I don't, I don't know. You, I'm curious what you think of well, that. Well, here's what I don't understand. So I was at the Sox game on Saturday. And they still start a 25-second clock, which was implemented over two years ago. Yeah. That that is, within 25 seconds, the pitch is supposed to be thrown. Now, they never implemented any sort of penalty if you didn't throw the pitch. They never enforced it. Exactly. They never enforced it. But still to this day, like I was there and I saw the clock go. The clock started back up after the out was made. And it's ticking down. And did, in most cases, no pitch was thrown within that 25 seconds. But it's like we, it needs to be done. It needs to be done. I I feel like the Sox, a lot of the guys have been using the pitch comm system and the pitch comm system Mm. speeds things up because you don't have to wait for the pitcher to be on the rubber to start to give them the signs. When Giolito pitched his last game, he does his little like walk around thing, but he could still pitch within 19 seconds because Grandel had already given him the sign as he was coming back to the rubber. And he was just yeah. getting on the rubber and throwing the pitch. Yeah. And that was the and and today in the White Sox game, um you could see that um, Plezak, they were using Pitchcom. I mean, that the game was, the game, when I looked at it, it was a pretty short, uh, it was like, I think it was under three hours. And when, when, you, when you would watch him pitch, you would see that he was just like getting up there and firing the balls in. Yeah. I've the seen question it with the Tigers. Is, I've, I've noticed it, that I feel like pitchers might be trying to get ahead of this. They know it's coming, so they might as well start getting used to not fucking around and and just getting up there and throwing pitches. And my, my question about it is, so you have 19 seconds to throw a pitch. Is the batter allowed to call time? I mean, I know. Oh yeah. I'm not getting rid of that. The ump ump doesn't have to grant it. That's the other thing, but the, I think the batter has to be in the batter's box within there. There's a, I, I brought it up a minute ago. It's it's either with it with nine seconds left in the clock or whatever it is. He has to be in the box, and if he's not, and again, these are the rules they're experimenting with in the minors. And if that nine seconds left doesn't work, they can adjust that. If if nineteen seconds isn't the right amount with a runner on base, they can adjust that. If fourteen seconds isn't the right amount, you know, they might make it thirteen. Even you know, who knows what what? But that that that's what's so cool about the minors experimenting with this. They can find out what hat what what works and my main question i think the main concern is how the running game is affected you know if a guy is on 
if guy's trying to steal from from first base, he can just watch the the clock die down, and he knows he can he can go at a certain point. Maybe you know that might be the unintended consequences. Um, you know, because there's he knows the pitcher has to do something at that point, so he's not waiting. You know, that's a strategy by some pitchers just to hold the ball for a while, just to move up, wreck the timing of the runner. Well, if you're mm-hmm. eliminating that from a pitcher's arsenal to to quell a running game. That's that's not necessarily good. Although you could argue more stolen bases is a good thing, you know, potentially. So I, I just think it's we're gonna learn so much more about it. We're like I said, we're only two weeks into it. They're, we're gonna learn way more about it. And they're experimenting with all sorts of things we, we talked about early, you know, several episodes ago. But hopefully we learn the 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 what the real positives and negatives are of, of those and implement things accordingly. But uh, the other the other thing to that I think about all these things is people hate change and especially baseball fans. Baseball, they hate change. Well, the, the joke or the, the idiom with baseball is, you know, change in baseball is glacial. They are the slowest of any sport to, to make change and people just fear it uh, because they're comfortable with what they know. And I just think that's, that's the wrong way to live life in general. Don't fear change. Uh, Change is an opportunity. Change, change can be good. And if it's not right at first, you can find ways to exploit it and use it to your advantage. So that's just me though. So that's going to be something we'll, we'll keep tabs on. I'm sure it'll be a story throughout the season, other changes, you know, with the uh, larger bases, which is, I think is funny. Uh, I think it'll be a big ballyhoo for a week when we see larger would bases. Have helped, and then, would have helped Andrew Vaughn uh, when he got, tagged out at second because he slid off the base if he had a little bit more to grab if he had a little bit more to grab it would have been a double instead of an out there you go don't fear change it can help oh it can well that was our anti-hero of the week i think we can move on to shit we couldn't make up oh you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around huh what have we got here a fucking comedian For a turkey cemetery. Come on to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. First on my list would be Joe Madden being Joe Madden. He's reached Oof. peak. This reached peak Joe Madden this week. This is this is interesting. Yeah, this is this is a fun one. Joe Madden uh, being the mercurial madman, I like to call him the mad scientist, decided to walk in. Uh, decided to walk in a run, uh, walked Corey Seager <laughs> of yeah. the Rangers uh, with the bases loaded and uh, had the baseball world ablaze with confusion, with what the fuck are you doing? It led to a run, of course. It led to, I think, two more runs were scored in that inning. Yeah, the, that's the bad Angels. Fire. The Angels were losing at the time, and they were losing by even more, but... Somehow, eventually, the Angels won the game. So the question <laughs> remains, was Joe wrong or was he right? And this is what's fascinating. It's always been the case with Joe Madden, who has always thought outside the box, which I've always appreciated. But it's almost impossible to defend this idea specifically, especially when he described his thought process after the game as essentially he wanted to shake things up for the team. like. When when he made the decision to walk, of all, of course, Seager's a, a fine player, but he is not 2003 Barry Bonds. 
you know, he's not someone you have to fear that it's either you walk him or you give up a grand slam immediate. I mean, that, that was, yeah, that was the only situation I can recall where it's like, Oh yeah, you have to walk Barry Bonds, even if the bases are loaded. I, I don't remember other players. I don't think of Corey Seager in those terms. Uh, the idea that Joe Madden was just trying to shake things up is ludicrous. I think it just happened to work out that they somehow won that game. Uh, I'm not sure walking in a walking in a run shook up, shook them up to the point where they felt inspired to win a game. Finally, the the best part that I saw at least was in in real time. Mike Trout. There's a GIF out there. There's there's video of this where you can literally see Mike Trout realizing what's happening, doing the math in his head as he's looking looking around. He just notices. You can see him counting the runners on base and seeing the intentional walk happening to Corey Seager. You can see his reaction like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Why is this happening? <laughs> but just to see him doing the math and trying to figure out what's going on, you can see his thought process. It's just priceless. Yeah. So. I mean, I mean, the, the main... In both cases, uh, the 2003 Barry Bonds and and in the Joe Madden case, uh, you know both teams that did the bases loaded walk won. But the difference is that the only run scored that inning was the intentional walk. That was a great move think- by Buck Showalter. In the case of of Joe Madden, oh, it, oh, oh, to I me see. backfires because. The idea is you walk that guy because you can get the next guy to roll into a double play or whatever yeah. you needed to get out of that inning. And that is not what happened. And no. I agree with everything you said. I think it was a terrible move. It was it was like what happened a lot with the Cubs at times. You kind of win. And even with the White Sox, like with some stuff with La Russa last year, you win in spite of your managerial decisions. Well- and that, and that is the classic line. That is the legacy of Joe Madden in, in Chicago, Un, unfortunately, or whatever, however you want to look at it. I that, mean, think that about is, the playoffs. Well, <laughs> think about the World is, Series run. That is the thing. That That is what that is the, the line to describe Joe Madden, essentially, is he the Cubs won the World Series in spite of Joe Madden. And that is <laughs> that, that you could write novels about about that that idea of and his time in, in Chicago, there have been novels written about it, but the, the, uh, it's hard to disagree with that stance because the, some of the, the bullpen management and questionable decision-making he had throughout that playoff run did not put them necessarily in a position to win. They, they won, they won in spite of that in a lot of cases. So it's, it's, it's almost a tragedy in my mind too. Cause I think he's a, Extremely likable guy. Um, I think he's a great manager. He's, he's just so odd, makes so many strange decisions. But I think in the Cubs case specifically, he was caught with his pants down a few times. I don't think that's because he was an oddball or doing anything weird. I think several times he, he didn't have people warming up in the bullpen that should have been. Um, but the, the tragedy of right. that is you, you said your whole life, you know, whatever manager, whatever players – finally win a world series after how many, you know, whatever it was going to be, it ended up being 108 years. Those people are set for life in, in the city of Chicago. They will never pay for a meal again. They'll never pay for a drink, but within four years, Joe Madden was unceremoniously, you know, shoved out the door essentially where the year before his contract expired was, was let go. Um, you know, he had a restaurant in, in the, 
right next to Wrigley Field that lived for a few months, you know, after he left. Yeah, that the you know the the rest of the team has been disassembled. So it's just it's that that maybe the, that's where I'm getting at with the tragedy of all of that. You know, you thought those right. guys would be set for life, making such a historical achievement, and none of them are around anymore. And Joe Madden is kind of the Pied Piper of that, uh, mainly because he's such a weirdo. <laughs> so I think in this case, he he's kind of playing the results a bit. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's thinking game, you know, game whatever, 11 out of 162, he can play around with this and maybe try to do something to inspire his team. I'm not sure how specifically walking in a run would inspire your team or shake things up, but it's it's just peak Joe Madden. He does something like that, and then it, somehow he wins the game. <laughs> so it, it's too perfect. And they're in first place right now. So exactly, they're they're actually looking good. I I always pan yeah. the Angels, no matter who's managed them. They, their pet, their pitching seems to always fall short, but somehow they're they're doing quite well in a in a pretty good division. So, uh, do you have any shit you can make up, or do you want me to move yeah, on to my I, I, second one? No, I actually have two. I, I said I only had one, but I have two. And the first one I'm going to cover is one that you know about, which I text you about because the trolls of the White Sox Twitter trolls who watch Cubs games just to point out things that are incorrect shared a marquee uh, work mistake yes. uh, that if if you didn't look closely at it, you wouldn't really understand what was going on. You actually had to like actually click on the picture to get what was going on. But thank you. The 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 marquee <laughs> network uh, decided to flash uh, three Cubs players who were off to a hot start. Yeah, and one of them was Nick Madrigal, which is no Eight for surprise. sixteen. He, yeah, he puts the ball in place, batting five hundred or was batting five hundred a few days Man. ago, and. Unfortunately, uh, two out of the three pictures are right, but uh, for Nick Madrigal, it seems Ralphiel Ortega was the <laughs> player that was put in Nick Madrigal's spot. And um, what makes this story even funnier is uh, uh, a bit of a White Sox uh, Twitter meathead posted it, and he he was he was being satirical and said. This is who the White Sox thought they were getting when they signed Nick Madrigal because of the picture being incorrect. And since no one really looked at the picture, but they could see the stats clearly, they're like, they all start again railing on Nick Madrigal where only like two people out of 25 fans even noticed the fact that he was being uh. sarcastic in that they thought we're getting it was the picture. Ralphie it was a sight gag. The picture, not, the not picture is gag. the joke. The picture is the joke, not the stats. Nick Madrigal again did very well for the White Sox. I don't know why you people continue to hate on him just because <laughs> he's on the Cubs, but he was a good player and will continue to be a good player. And I wish him all the best. So that is that is all on that. It was just the Marquee Network has had. A lot yeah. of hiccups. They're uh, a punching bag. They're 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 it, a legitimate it, punching bag. And it's surprising because you you would think that it would be a little more buttoned up by now, but it, it's yeah. not. But they did suffer biblical else? losses, so it might be hard to start a TV network when you're 
struggling yeah. so much. Well, they lost so much money, they can't pay anyone to QA anything before it goes up the air. So. <laughs> they fired all their QAs. Yeah, I could, I believe they it. Had, <laughs> they had one of the guys who drums out in front of the stadium dropping pictures in for the players. You know, <laughs> so. <laughs> all right, moving on. You're next. <laughs> <laughs> my my next shit you could make up, uh, of course, was the much talked about Clayton Kershaw situation where he was removed from a game before he could complete his perfect game, to which <gasps> the baseball world lost its collective mind. Uh, you actually texted me about this at the time, and I just said, yeah, I've, we saw this happen already twice already this year with you Darvish and I forget who the other, I think it was another San Diego pitcher, actually. Removed her. Yeah. I'm not sure they actually had perfect the, games going. Sean, but they had Sean Manaya. Was Manana. it Manaya? Manaya. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure they had perfect games going, but they they were taken out with no hits at least. But the, my my point was, it's early in the season. Uh, you know, the, no pitcher is getting pushed past at that point 80 pitches in the first week. Um, 90 pitches would be quite a bit, uh, which the Giants don't seem to have a problem with with Carlos Rodon. Um, but everyone, it was such a crazy thing. Cause it was like a, it was like the biggest topic in sports the next day, which I was kind of surprised by because baseball kind of takes a backseat, especially we're in, we're in draft season for the NFL. we got the draft coming up next week. We got the NBA playoffs going on, but somehow the whole world was just aghast at Dave Roberts for removing Clayton Kershaw. And I felt like it was Spurn, this argument was based on ignorance. I think it's people that just kind of parachuted into baseball and wanted to see a perfect game because there have only been, what, 18 perfect games now in history, which is fucking incredible. And, and the aforementioned Phil Umber has one of those, which is yes. unbelievable. But it that's what we love about baseball, that those things can happen. And that a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, Clayton Kershaw, uh, had an opportunity to have a perfect game was, you know, maliciously cut short by his evil manager. And I just feel like people that have that opinion have no idea what's going on, especially this year or that the context of any of that. They, they've kind of dropped in. You're out of your element, Donnie, like in big Lebowski, just you drop in yeah. like a child without any context or understanding of the situation. It, it, it's like everyone thinks all these pitchers have had a normal spring training and every time a pitcher is pitching well and then they take them out in the fifth or something, you know, like we didn't even real, you and I both at first did not even realize Giolito was injured because we just thought he was taken out because he's not fully stretched out yet exactly. because of the shortened spring training. This is not and understanding like, lockout has shortened spring training. This is understanding Clayton Kershaw's history of injuries specifically uh, he almost did not come to back to baseball this year. He almost retired if his back and other issues hadn't resolved themselves. He was not going to sign an extension with the Dodgers because he, he has such a good relationship with them that he wouldn't take their money until he knew he was going to be healthy. He didn't even know he was going to pitch until January, which puts off his yeah. off-season training regimen. Then we had the lockout on top of that where he was not working with any – he had, could have no contact with any – team doctors or consult with anybody on that. So he was on his, on an Island on his own, trying to do this training. So they have to treat him with 
the ultimate kid gloves. He cannot be pushed far. It, it was so obvious. It is you. You texted it to me, and it was so obvious in my mind that well, of course he took him out, even if it was a perfect game, because they have loftier goals, and he was never going to get to enough pitches to get. He was never going to be allowed to throw enough pitches to get even close to a perfect game, no matter what it was. It was going to be 80 or so pitches at most, no matter what. The, the thing that I heard over and over again from ignorant people arguing is like, well, what's another 20 pitches? It's like, you, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. As soon as you say Ask it, Carlos or Don, ask yeah, Carlos. Exactly. Rodin. Exactly. So that just, it just made me laugh. I just, I kind of didn't think it was when you texted it to me, I literally thought it was such a non issue that it would just, I think I even, kind Oh of, no. Cause it, it was I almost felt like I was insulting you. I'm like, why'd you send me this text? Like, this is, this is nothing. Because it was and already it, starting on the, well, air. that's the thing. Yeah. You knew more about it than I did. And you have a better finger on the pulse of, of the populace, I guess, because it was the biggest story in sports for a day or more than that, even. And I, I didn't think anything of it. It was talked about on the White Sox postgame show by Garfine <laughs> was, and Ozzy and Frank. I mean, like, I, who, like why? Yeah, it's I mean, it took over every, everything nationally. It was just amazing. So, I mean, Dave Roberts, say what you will. He, he knew he knew what he was doing. Clint Kershaw had no issue with it whatsoever. That that that's the telltale sign that there was there was no issue to begin with, because Clint Kershaw didn't make a stink about it at all because he understood no. He knows the no. context better than anyone else. And what what does he want? Does he want to pitch a does he want to pitch a perfect game or does he want to pitch in the playoffs and help them win a World Series? That's what I, he wants. Well, he, individual he knew a perfect... accolades don't mean anything to most players. I think like it they might mean, mean something if they accomplish them, but it, it's not it's not the number one thing in their mind. Correct, but I think beyond even on top of that, he knew a perfect game was an impossibility at that point in the season. He was never going to be able to throw right. enough pitches to get to that point. So it was, it was never an issue. He knew he was coming out of right. that game or ended, even if, even if he had a perfect game going, he, he knew that going, going, going into it. So just such a non, a non story that became the biggest story in, in sports, which just makes it some shit I couldn't make up. Um, my last one is, is quite funny and it, Involves a game that probably only people in Washington and Pittsburgh were watching because it was Washington uh, against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. Um, but leave it to the Pirates who are, um, you know, barely have any money invested in them to to be part of something such as this. Uh, let me set the table for you. Alcides Escobar is at first base. He's leading off first, and relief pitcher for the Pirates, Brubaker, decides to throw over to first base, and he just he lets the ball rip. Well, he throws it so hard that somehow um, the first baseman for the Pirates, uh, his name escapes me, just completely whiffs on the ball, and the ball hits Escobar directly in the nuts. Oh, I where, didn't see this. <laughs> to where he is on the ground in some pain. I mean, you are wearing a cup, but if someone throws the ball at 90 miles an hour and it's just square in the newts, it's going to, it's going to leave them. Are they it's going to hurt. I don't think they're all wearing cups. I think a catcher wears a cup, but I'm not sure every baseball player does. But. Uh, well, I thought they did, but 
I know they are required at Charlie's. <laughs> I'm not going to go do a cup check cup. to find out. We're Major yeah. League A-holes cup check. I don't think we're going to be doing we're that gonna, anytime I, soon. So. Maybe if I could get – it can talk to someone before a game, I'll, I'll ask them. But, uh, yeah, but I thought that was pretty funny because it, it's amazing that he threw it and somehow the first baseman – it was like a very good throw. The first baseman just completely misses the ball and it, it hits – Escobar square in the nuts. So I think that's the one I saw where the the first base coach actually saw it happen, and, and you could see him feeling the ultimate empathy for him as he bends over. Oh my god, he got hit! The nuts. Yeah, just right. Terrible for him. That's a, that's they a, all had that's a one. chuckle about it. They all had a chuckle, but uh, at yeah, first okay. it did not look very good. Did not look very good. Well, I think that finally moves us to our final segment, our asshole of the week. What is your problem, you insensitive asshole? Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. Who the fuck is this asshole? Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay, then. asshole of the week than the i would describe him as the poster boy for inherited wealth entitlement douchebaggery i think that's the way i i titled it in, in our text chain today phil castellini uh son of owner of the reds uh his name escapes me but he's the son of the owner but Phil has been promoted throughout his life to uh, the point where he is now the president and CEO of the Reds for doing nothing other than being a rich boy, the son of a, <laughs> a rich person. Uh, if you if you look at this man, you will he literally looks exactly like what I'm describing the 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 ultimate of douchebaggery. Uh, it's unbelievable. He on opening day after the Reds have unceremoniously jettisoned any bit of talent they possibly could off of their major league roster, uh, was asked why. Uh, let's see why Reds fans should bother showing up to games this year, and his first response was, "Where else are they going to go?" Uh, just showing how entitled that at least Phil himself, the president of the organization, feels towards his own fan base, that they can do whatever the fuck they want and their fans will just act like sheep and follow them anywhere they go. And it couldn't couldn't be uh, couldn't be further from the truth. But not only did he uh, say that immediately, he was given the opportunity later to uh, kind of back off those statements, but by his own uh, broadcasting network, they asked him, you know, you said something that, you know, kind of riled up the public earlier today on opening day of all days. Uh, and it was given the opportunity. I believe this is where the, the quote you have pulled up there falls yeah. in the line. Where he replies, if you want to look at what, what you do with this team to have it be more profitable, it would be to pick it up and move it someplace else. So be careful what you ask for. So essentially on opening day, the president of the Reds organization threatened to move the team if fans stopped showing up. 
because fans might not show up because you removed all the talent from your team. At which point, uh, the since that moment, the uh, the Reds have lost nine games straight. It might be ten games at this point. Uh, they have the worst record in in the major leagues. They are a complete embarrassment. They are the picture of tanking that everyone has railed against. They have done everything they can to destroy their major league roster. And now their rich boy son of the owner is basically taunting Reds fans with the fact that he can do anything he wants. And he thinks Reds fans will just follow him to the end of the earth because he can do anything he wants. Cause he's always done that his entire life. So that is why I am nominating Phil Castellini, our asshole of the week. Uh, indeed. Anytime someone threatens to move a team, careful what you ask for, threatens the fans. I mean, just completely, completely uncalled for. Uh, the funniest thing is he finally issued a, an obviously forced apology on uh, an official statement that was posted on social media. It was about two sentences long. That was clearly written by a lawyer, uh, not by Phil himself. Uh, my favorite part of this, uh, this might be more of a sight gag than anything, but it was posted on a full page of, uh, Cincinnati red stationery and it was just two sentences. So it basically filled up nothing of the page. Most of it was just blank is showed how much, how heartfelt and well thought out his, his apology really was that he was forced to do. So it was obvious. So that made me laugh. So I'll be sure to post that. Within, within our uh, post on this on the website. So congratulations, Phil. You are our asshole of the week. Well, we are, I believe, approaching two hours and 30 minutes of a podcast uh, on this podcast, number 98. I say we keep going. Yeah, I've got more to talk about, but I kind of want to watch the end of this Cubs game. Um, I'm getting a little bit drowsy. I need to crack another beer eventually. We could- I think the Cubs are up like eight to two or something, right? I didn't see. I saw three. Nothing was the last one I saw, but that was quite a while ago. That would be nice. Um, maybe, I'd appreciate. They're playing the, the Pirates. Maybe it's, so. Yeah, I think What's I think that? they're up. They're in. They're in Pittsburgh, right? Mm, looks. Or are like they home? It. I'm not sure, but whatever. We should wrap this up. <laughs> we digress. Hey, I, I, I got two quick things that I forgot. Oh shit! He forgot. One we never talked uh, about me going to the first game of the year which was supposed I think to be we should talk about it let's let's go but we're let's just gonna do it we're gonna experience. do it real quick I just I just want I just no, want to no, take your time say, say, we got a couple things here one it was uh Liam Hendricks bobblehead day oh nice I, I was lucky enough to get one but uh now does Robin he swear were, does, can you push a button as he starts swearing it no no he said maybe next year's version will have that oh, they did ask okay. him about a, a talking version of it he said i don't think it will be distributed to children adults only um but uh what was really we- bizarre i mean it wasn't the game was not sold out but the the you know the weather was a little little on the chilly side it was like 48 partly sunny um, lower tank was filled, upper tank, maybe a third. But at like around an hour and a half or so before the game is when we got to the parking lot. And I was shocked that it took us like forever to get into the ballpark. Like the lines were huge. 
the wow. main the main entrance line, like when we go in from the red lot after we've been tailgating, the entrance we normally go in actually was wrapped around oh, I've never around had the problem. building. I know I've never had either all the way down uh shields like what the frick is going on yeah so we went to another gate but was still we were still in line for like a a solid 10 minutes or so before we got got through so that was like a little little disheartening that they were having a metal detector issue or what was that I mean, the metal detector, it moves pretty smoothly. Like you just kind of take, you know, you take your stuff, throw it in there. That's metal, your phone and no, your I know, keys. And was go, there something wrong with it? No, no. I, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if anyone, everyone just decided to converge at the same time to get these bobbleheads or whatever, but. Oh, I, that's it. But um, it was kind of, that was, that was kind of, uh, that was kind of shitty, but we got in plenty. We, you know, we were in there plenty of time. Um, game was good. Sox won, but uh, the most exciting news Decent of weather. All, yeah, yeah, I mean, we were in we were on the first base side, so we had sun for probably the first five innings. Then after that, you know, there was a breeze, so it got a, a little chilly. Uh, so we moved over to the third base side because, like, half the fans were just hanging out in the outfield because it was all sunny in the outfield. So. Um, there were some seats on the third base side in the sun, so we grabbed some of those but um, to end the game, to finish the game out. But the biggest news is there were actual vendors working the seats. We actually bought beer. Oh, I heard about beer this. Beer from a yes. real vendor, a real beer vendor. Now, they don't accept cash. You still have to just use your card. They got little machines and everything. But there's also a That's hot cool. dog vendor out there. Um, thankfully, nice. there wasn't a cotton candy vendor, so I was happy that that led ridiculous giant post that blocks your view was the worst vendor there. in baseball the worst vendor in baseball history the cotton candy vendor but overall okay. socks one three two it was a good game they beat the rays which is always nice to hear beating a team uh, that should be over 500 when the season's over and done with which they couldn't do at all last year it seems so that was good mm. um so it was, a, it was a good i'm going uh, again next saturday so uh did you do a pete's food food frenzy did you do i did i need to um i looked at the i looked at it the other day um you need to do some editing well i need to add a little bit of an ending because i was rushing through it because it was so loud in there and there were like people so i was kind of like rushing through it and i was trying to hold it steady while i did it so it's gonna finish it 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 up this weekend I'm going to finish it up with just like a post comment uh, to better describe the pretzel wrap bratwurst, which is what I reviewed. Ooh. It's a new well, item we're gonna do, this year. So. We'll make sure to do some cross promotion. Well, you, you've got your yeah. food blog and food podcast, Pete's Food Frenzy. We'll, we'll post that here on Major League A-Holes as well because you were at Sox Park. So I think that's, that's right. That and dovetails and nicely. To, you know this part of it, but I'm happy to report that in Midwest beers, Revolution Brewing still mm. has a presence in the stadium. You can still get this. You're worried. Gem. I was worried. I was worried. I was worried, but they are still there. And then uh, we poured one out for the the Revolution. What was it called? Sox Tap Room. Sox Social Tap Room. Yeah, the whole segment they, of last week. So. But they have that there. I'm hoping when the weather warms up and it gets released, they have some sun, sun crusher there too, because that's 
a nice refreshing uh, summer beer that uh, they do. Um, the other thing I forgot during the White Sox segment was something that started yesterday during the pre and post game. The Garfun, Gian, and Thomas have started a Guardians jar, which every time they say Indians, they have to put five dollars oh, nice. into the Guardians jar. So five dollars! Wow, yeah, that's gonna I thought, be a lot. I thought that was pretty darn funny. Um, I just thought I'd point we that can, out. We could do the same thing if you want. Uh, we could. I mean, you're, you're the one who's struggling, though. You're struggling the most with it over there. So, yeah, you're right. We'll, we'll maybe we'll donate to charity at the end of the year. How many times do you say, say Indians instead of Guardians? Yeah, Frank, Frank became so desperate, he just started referring to them as the Cleveland Baseball Club. I noticed you were doing that tonight. You just kept saying Cleveland. You, you just yeah, avoided well, the whole, the whole conflict. Well, boy, you, you, there's, there's, there's workarounds. <laughs> You're quite wily that way. You learn. You learn quickly. I saw. So, learn from your. Learn from your your wily ways. All right. So that is a. I'm officially done now. You're done. Oh my I'm god. Done. Okay. Now we are past the two hour and thirty minute mark. So let's wrap this one up. Episode ninety eight. We are inching ever so closer to episode one hundred. And you and I still have no idea what special thing we're going to do for one hundred. Maybe we'll do a. We're going to go three hours. <laughs> yeah, we'll go through, or maybe we'll just limit it to 100 minutes finally. Oh, yeah, we'll see if that happens. Yeah, we'll see. But in the meantime, you can catch us on social media at Major League A Holes. You can catch our website at uh, majorleagueaholes.com as well as aesthetics.store. You can find us on YouTube and you can find this podcast anywhere you'd like to find a podcast. So with that, I'm going to declare this podcast is over. Peace. Peace. Yeah! Jesus fucking Christ, it's about time. S-S-H-O-L-E, everybody, S-S-H-O-L-E. And I'm proud of it. Word Hole Media.